Hi friends, it's Kristen here, and welcome to this special follow-up episode of Broadly Underestimated. Whenever I decide to dig into a topic, the toughest part of creating an episode is deciding which angle to cover it from, because there are a thousand different angles you could cover these kinds of events from, and deciding which information has to be excluded is honestly painful for me because there's always just so much more to the story than we have time for in an episode, or often even several episodes. So in this quick follow-up episode, I wanted to provide a few more fun, but really in this case, not so fun facts about the Salem Witch Trials that I couldn't include in the previous episode. And I also wanna give you a few recommendations for books that will tell you more about these and other fascinating aspects of the trials. So in the previous episode about the Salem Witch Trials, we talked about an apology, a cover-up, and the Queen of Hell. And today, we'll be chatting about lost records, family connections, a mystery, and a modern-day police connection to witches on brooms. So buckle up. Welcome to a broadly underestimated edition I like to call The Stacks. Books are time machines, so I want to take you into the stacks of the library with me to chat about the books that I think you might enjoy if you want to go on a journey to the past, to see things in a way that you haven't seen them before. In the aftermath of the trials, Salem and New England in general were left reeling from the events that had taken place there. People tried to make sense of the decisions that were being made and tried to put their lives back together after getting caught up in this frenzy and fearing potential accusations, losing loved ones, or having been imprisoned for long periods of time. This Salem witch invasion started in the minister's home, and that is a really interesting paradox to think about. Would this witch hunt have begun in the minister's home because he and his family were more prone to superstition and to seeing life through an exclusively spiritual lens, Or was this a man's desperate attempt to unite a congregation that tended to run their ministers off by giving it a common enemy? We can't possibly know the answer to that question, but what we do know is that Tituba, the first person accused of witchcraft, was enslaved in the minister's home, and she was the only one of the original three women to be accused to survive the trials. But that survival came at a cost, which brings us to the first fact about the Salem witch trials that I wanted to share with you. And that is that following the governor's order to release all the accused from jail in the spring of 1693, the accused had to pay their prison expenses before they could leave. This included things like the cost of food, the shackles and chains that bound them, and a portion of the salaries of the jailers, judges, and court officials. And if a prisoner died in jail, their family had to pay for the body. And in Tichuba's case, the minister, Samuel Paris, wouldn't pay for her release. So as an enslaved woman, she was sold, and whoever bought her paid those prison expenses. But we don't know who that person was or what happened to her after that. Like I mentioned in the previous episode, it's often really difficult to get a sense of who the accused and the victims of these trials were. And while certain things were documented, there are patterns throughout history that show that records of women's lives tend to be neglected. And this pattern is even more acute for women of color. There are massive gaps in true understanding of what the everyday lives of women of color were like in colonial New England. So many stories of women, but especially women of color, are lost to us. But this is where fiction can be really handy. We can dig into existing records as much as possible and then make logical inferences about emotions and experiences to explore the potential truths of people's lives. 
And so this takes us to the first book that I want to pull off the shelf, which is called I, Tichuba by Maurice Conde. This book is fabulous, first of all. It's beautifully written, and it explores the emotional life of Tichuba from the time that she was born in Barbados to being taken to the American colonies and to her imprisonment during the trials and then to her life afterward. Maurice Conde is an award-winning author and specializes both in the academic world and also in her numerous books in the aftermath of slavery and colonialism. So I, Tichuba is a beautiful exploration of what Tichuba's life could have been like, and of course specifically, what her experiences may have been like during the trials. And really importantly, it's a record of a life that desperately lacks documentation. Now a life that, although to a lesser extent, also lacks documentation, is that of our Queen of Hell, Martha Carrier. But what's really interesting is that though the victims of the trials often lack documentation, they don't lack a legacy. The cultural legacy of the trials has impacted our political and social and artistic lives. But that legacy is even more real when we talk about the people who are walking around the United States who are descendants of the Salem witch trial victims. So this takes us to the next fact about the trials that I find astounding, which is that as many as 100 million Americans may be direct descendants of those accused of witchcraft during the Salem Witch Trials. Isn't that mind-blowing? So the next book that I want to pull off the shelf is called The Heretic's Daughter by Kathleen Kent. Kathleen Kent is the ninth great-granddaughter of Martha Carrier. So it makes the story she's written even more interesting when you think about the fact that she's written a couple of books about Martha Carrier and that she's writing about her own family. According to the introduction to The Heretic's Daughter, Kathleen Kent became aware that she was related to a victim of the Salem witch trials when hearing an aunt speak about a family member having been accused of being a witch. And so they have this family lore surrounding the witch trials. And I think it's really incredible to imagine being connected in that way to this tragedy and then writing a book about it. As we know, Martha Carrier was a force to be reckoned with. She didn't take crap from anybody. And because of this, she was an easy target for the trials. And Kent explores these interpersonal factors in her book that could have led to Martha Carrier's witchcraft accusation. Something that I really loved about this book is that it felt immersive and it felt like you were a close observer of the Carrier family and the interpersonal and religious dynamics that could have motivated someone to accuse Martha Carrier of witchcraft. And as we find in the story, many of those dynamics that led to witchcraft accusations were interpersonal. Certain personality traits, along with relationships with friends and family and neighbors, were part of the puzzle. Also, the stress and the paranoia that were a byproduct of both Puritan superstition and the unforgiving toll that the wilderness and the constant threat of starvation and illness took on them would have permeated this community during this time as well. When we talk about the Salem witch trials, I think there is often a bit of a disconnect between the fun that we have with the concept of witches today and the real human tragedy that took place in 1692, where children lost parents and parents lost children, and the sort of basic human decency within a community completely broke down and turned into this bout of hysteria and paranoia that even today we can't seem to fully explain. But The Heretic's Daughter paints a full picture of what it could have felt like to be watching these events unfold. So if you're interested in a beautifully written dive into a specific family that was affected by the Salem witch trials, The Heretic's Daughter could be a great choice for you. 
Now, not knowing things like what truly motivated Martha Carrier's witchcraft accusation or where Tichuba ended up, how long she lived, even for sure where she was from, are just a few examples of how many things that we don't know about the Salem witch trials. There are so many questions about those events that I'm not sure will ever be answered. Which leads me to the next fact, which I would actually call more of an observation, and that is that the Salem Witch Trials are revisited every single October. And I think that it's the mystery surrounding this nine-month period that keeps bringing us back for more, year after year. And when I was looking into these events, I came across one particular book that I thought did such an impressive job at trying to unravel some of that mystery and to provide some kind of context to these inexplicable events. And that book is called The Witches by Stacey Schiff. Stacey Schiff is a Pulitzer Prize winning author, and she dives into this topic headfirst. And from the very first page, she starts to try to explain some of this context that we as modern readers just can't possibly understand. The Puritan headspace was a very different headspace than our own mental worlds today. And that headspace is really reflected in the Salem Witch Trials. Then, of course, there were also all kinds of social, political, and economic factors that contributed to making the trials what they were. And within this book, Stacey Schiff does an amazing job of pulling all of these factors together and trying to explain something that was very intentionally covered up. So this book gives you a sense of being dropped into 17th century Salem and then fills the narrative with these super sassy pop cultural references in order to make sense of it for a 21st century reader. The way that Schiff contextualizes the trials helps us to understand, 300 years later, why certain things were terrifying, why they were tragedies, and why they were absurd. And as I'm sure you can imagine, this book is not a light read, but it is an absolute journey into the past that makes some sense of a senseless period in history. And this idea of recontextualizing senseless events brings us to the final fact I want to share with you about the Salem witch trials. And that is that the police in Salem walk around with little witch patches on their uniforms and on their patrol cars. While the city of Salem, Massachusetts has done a lot of work in recent years to commemorate the tragedy of the witch trials and to honor the victims, they have also created their own context for the trials by embracing the witch as their civic identity. Now, this civic identity isn't an emblem of the real witch trials victims, which would have been a very gory image of women and men hanging from nooses. No, it's a cute little witch living her best life on a broom. So the high school mascot is a witch. The city's website has a logo of a stylish little witch hat. And as I mentioned, the Salem police patrol the city in cars with emblems of little witches on them. The city has really taken in this history, and instead of hiding it, they've identified with it, albeit in a very watered-down version of the actual events. And another way they've done this, as we discussed briefly in the previous episode, that Salem spends the entire month of October leaning into this Halloween theme. The entire city becomes a Halloween city for a month every year. Which brings me to the last book that I want to tell you about, which is called A Season with the Witch by J.W. Oker. J.W. Oker has a long-standing blog called Odd Things I've Seen, where he focuses on oddities around the United States and occasionally around the world. The idea is that oddities of art, nature, science, and culture exist within driving distance of wherever you live, and he goes out to explore as many of them as he can and shares them on his blog. So not only does Oker have a fascinating blog, but he's written numerous books as well. And A Season with the Witch sort of presents Salem, Massachusetts itself as an oddity. 
And it's an oddity that reflects the evolution of Halloween in the United States. So Oker took his family to Salem and spent the entire month of October there to explore the history, to speak to residents, to meet with local practicing witches, to participate in the Haunted Happenings festivities, and just to see what happens in general. And believe me, there's a lot, because Salem's reputation as a Halloween town has really expanded, and every year the entire month of October is filled with Halloween-studded events. There are museums dedicated to the witch trials and also just to general creepiness. And there are Halloween parties and parades. The month seems really chaotic. And so Oker spends all of October exploring the oddities and the strange things that happen over the course of the month. So first and foremost, the book is like a travelogue to Salem. So if you haven't been there, which I haven't, after reading this book, I felt like I had. Ochre describes everything in both insightful and hilarious detail, so you feel like you're just traveling with a friend. Now, the topics that he tackles are really varied, and it's really interesting because he talks about the history of the trials in a way that is super digestible, but detailed enough that you really understand a lot of the nuance of it. He takes you back in time and puts you in that New England Puritan state of mind, and then shows you the locations where everything took place. As he takes you through town, he talks through the history, the memorials to the victims, and how he also finds what could potentially be the actual location of Gallows Hill, which is where the victims were hung. Now, beyond this history, he then dives into the vestiges of the trials in Salem today and how they've been embraced, acknowledged, memorialized, and commercialized. Important side note, he spends the better part of a chapter talking about all of the original Hocus Pocus filming locations in Salem as well, in case that means anything to you. He participates in the parades, the parties, and Halloween festivities. And over the course of the month, he paints an incredible picture of how a human rights disaster reflects much of the way that we in the United States approach fear, tragedy, and shame, and by extension, Halloween. Thanks so much for listening. I hope you've enjoyed this little trip into the section of the stacks with books about the Salem Witch Trials. You can find the book titles in the show notes and also at womanintime.com. And we'll see you next time on Broadly Underestimated.